The Leap Foundation proudly presents the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman. Dr. Bill is a TV host, New York Times bestselling author, two-time Guinness World Book record holder, fitness guru, celebrity cosmetic dentist, and philanthropist who founded the Leap Foundation. Here's Dr. Bill. Hey, Dr. Bill here. So I'm super duper excited for our next guest. You know who she is. I'm going to surprise you in a second. And I'm also really excited because we just found out that we can actually have Leap live again at UCLA. Now, it will be limited seating. We only have 100 students. And as per UCLA guidelines, you must be vaccinated. Okay, so if you want to come to LEAP live this year, we'll have room for 100 students. Plus, we also have hotel accommodations. It will not be at the Palisades Ballroom this year. It will be in the Luskin Conference Center down on campus. You must be 18 or older to stay in the hotel unless you have a mom or dad or guardian who will come with you. And then you can do that. The hotel rooms are about $200 a night. So I'm super excited. We've got great speakers confirmed. Uh, our next speaker, Ali, said she would speak. I'm excited about that. Paula Abdul's coming back. I have Anthony and Stella Hopkins coming. Anthony Hopkins just won his second uh, Academy Award, and we're going to talk all about that. And it's just going to be an amazing experience. Plus, we get to go outside again and like be around each other. So this is a super duper exciting leap. Um, why do we do these Meet the Mentors? Well, we've interviewed all these great people, uh, Michael Strahan, Usher, Paula Abdul, Kathy Bates, um, uh, I mean, on and on, Mark Wahlberg, Anthony Hopkins, Eva Longoria, and all of this great information that we're getting, it's just too valuable to kind of sit in a crypt. So we started this Meet the Mentor podcast. Believe it or not, we are number one in Yemen, number two in Iceland of all places, number three in Finland, tracking in Vietnam. And I just found out from our hosts that we are in the top 2% of all podcasts worldwide. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you to an amazing woman. I've known of her for a long time. I drive by her establishment like every day. And it's so exciting to be able to hear her story. Let me tell you about Allie Webb. She is a New York Times bestselling author, co-founder of Dry Bar and Squeeze. After spending 15 years as a professional hairstylist, Webb left the hair industry in 2005 to start a family. But after being a stay-at-home mom for five years, she then decided to find a way to continue pursuing the creative side of hairstyling at a new mom pace. In 2010, she opened the first dry bar in Brentwood, California. 10 years later, and over 150 plus locations later across the US, Webb's dry bar has exploded into a nationally recognized and highly sought after brand. Webb diversified the dry brand by creating a line of products and tools sold at popular retailers such as Nordstrom, Sephora, and Ultra. Recently selling this product division to Helen of Troy for $255 million. Webb also co-hosts a popular podcast called Raising the Bar, 
great name. And she does that with her partner and executive coach, Adrienne Kohler. In 2019, Webb opened doors to her next business venture called Squeeze. It's an innovative massage concept that lets you book and pay online. And most recently, Webb joined forces with Meredith Quill to build yet another new brand now known as Beckett and Quill. Both ladies share the passion for beauty, affordable luxury, and ones that won't break the bank. Allie, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm super excited to talk to you. Thanks, so, Chris. you know, I don't know if you know anything about me, but I started, I invented Zoom. You invented Zoom? Zoom, tooth whitening. Um, oh, they oh, like oh. The, they like the name so much that they now use it for the video conferencing. But I kind of have a feel that that you and I went through a lot of the same things. I mean, you knew the hair industry, I knew dentistry. How did you make that transition from just being, say, a stylist to actually owning several locations and learning kind of all the business behind? you know, doing a, a big company like yours? Well, I didn't, my parents were entrepreneurs, so I grew up in that environment. So I was, you know, I was exposed to entrepreneurship, you know, someone running their own business from the time I was like a little kid. And I worked in my parents' stores growing up as well as my, my older brother, Michael, who is my business partner in Drybar. And so it's, it was just kind of in my DNA, um, in terms like of running a business or more of like just having good instincts on customer service and experience and all of that, that I, I picked up so much from, from watching my parents all those years, you know, but in terms of like running a business that turned into the big business that Drybar did, like I didn't really know much about that. And my brother was definitely more the business side of things. He had a, he had a more kind of flushed out business acumen than I did. Um, but there were still a lot of things that he had to learn, you know, and we're kind of living proof of like learning on the job and learning as you go. And, you know, once we launched Drybar, the first location in 2010, we, we knew we were onto something really amazing, you know, and then it was like, how fast do we want to build this thing and how are we going to do it? And, you know, we really sought a lot of counsel from a lot of different people. Um, you know, my, my brother really had the, the great insight to know like, hey, like, we don't know how to grow and scale a business of this size. We need to get other people on board with us, which, you know, didn't mean we, we were stepping aside, but more that we were going to bring in people to partner with us, which I think is like, you know, one of my best pieces of advice to anybody growing a business is like, you know, bring in the people who compliment you, the people who have, you know, skills that you don't and, you know, growing and scaling a business even even when we got to like four or five stores, you know, from doing payroll and HR and all the things that needed to be done, you know, it wasn't like my strength. I was I was figuring all that stuff out and I enjoyed figuring it out, but I recognized and so did Michael that very quickly we needed to bring in other people who knew how to do the things that we could fumble and figure out, but weren't really good at. And so, you know, we could build a better company if we brought on more people. So, you know, I would say over the last 10 years or 11 years, you know, we did that, you know, little by little, we built a big team around us of people who had experience in, in places that we didn't. And that is a part of, you know, our growth and our success. I think that's so important. So let's, let's go back to the beginning because we kind of jumped into it. How did you come up with the whole idea of Drybar? I mean, like, really, like a place where you just go and 
get your hair blown out? Like, why? Well, you know, I mean, just like any great idea, you know, there's that famous quote, like, uh, what is it? Um, uh, necessity is the invention of, you know what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> I'm fumbling this quote. But basically, you know, personal necessity is, you know, what really drives people. It's like, what if there's something that doesn't exist that I wish did. And for me, you know, I have naturally curly hair. I grew up in South Florida where the, you know, the air is so wet and humid outside and my hair was, was crazy and frizzy and I didn't know how to like manage and tame it. And, you know, it was just this thing that bothered me really my whole childhood. And my mom wasn't a hairstylist, but I used to beg her to blow out my hair. And I just, I couldn't articulate it back then, but I felt more put together when my hair looked you know, as I thought better, you know, I was like looking, I would look at girls on TV and in magazines and I'd be like, how do they, they get their hair to look like that? This is what my hair looks like. And so, you know, be, so began this like kind of lifelong obsession with hair, you know, and so fast forward to high school and, you know, when all my friends were going to college and they all knew what they wanted to do with their lives and they had majors. And I remember thinking like, how do they know? Like, I don't really know what I want to do. And my parents, like I said, were entrepreneurs and had clothing stores and I loved fashion and I thought I would do that. So I moved to New York city. I became, you know, I worked in some of the biggest like fashion houses and I did that for a while. And then my brother, who's Michael, who I mentioned, he and I moved back to South Florida, opened up a couple of Nicole Miller boutiques. We were running that business and I was all of like 20 when that was going on, you know, so I never went to like traditional college and I found myself at the ripe old age of 20, 21, running two retail operations in the clothing business, which is what my parents did. And I was like, this is not it for me. And so it was at that point where I came to this crossroads again, where I was still pretty young. And I was like, what am I going to do with my life? And, and the, the thing that kind of kept coming up in the back of my mind was like, I really love hair and I really want to do hair. And I think that I felt like that wasn't like, impressive enough or my parents were going to think it wasn't like they just you know I don't know I just had this there was like a stigma attached to it for me and I remember talking to my parents and well I really talked to my brother about it first who's always been my biggest supporter my best friend and I said hey I'm I think I want to go to beauty school I don't think I want to do this anymore I think I want to learn to do hair and I selfishly wanted to learn to do my own hair you know, and so I started beauty school and, you know, much to my parents' chagrin, but they, as the good parents they were, supported it and paid for it. And I went to beauty school, totally fell in love with it, started working at hair salons as assistants and then moved back to New York and did that for a while. And, you know, and I did end up like, you know, moving careers a lot, which, you know, just as a side note, and I know I haven't totally answered your question yet, but, you know, as a 20 something year old, I was living in New York City for the second time. And. I, you know, and I, I did hair and I loved hair and I did that for a while. And then all of a sudden, like I had friends who were working at a really cool PR firm and I was like, I think I want to go do that. And so then I, I totally switched careers and started working in, in music PR at Rogers and Town, which is a huge PR firm. And, you know, I, I point that out to say that like, especially because your audience is young, you know, impressionable minds. Like I really so firmly believe, and I'll get to the rest of the story, but I believe that like all of those like pit stops and all of those different jobs and all that stuff that I did so uniquely prepared me for who I ultimately became, what I ultimately totally. did, you know, which I think is important because I think there's, there's, 
most of the kids I knew were, you know, kind of going down the same path. They were in college for four years and then they were going to come out and do this job. And that, you know, it was like a much like more narrow path where my path was like crazy. And I took all these different jobs and I did all these different things that, you know, when I worked at Rogers and Cow in the PR firm, I, you know, I, I sat at a desk and it was the first time in my life I'd sat at a desk and I was in a cubicle and I had to learn how to like write emails and you know, and, and make and write press releases. And it was like my professionalism skills really got honed in that job, which I didn't think was happening or I wasn't like trying to do that then. It was just another stepping stone that was, would prove to be really important. So anyways, fast forward to living in New York. I had stopped doing hair temporarily. I was working in PR. I met my now ex-husband then in New York. And we moved, I wanted, I had lived in New York now for like 10 years in, in the city and I wanted to move where it was warmer. And so we moved to LA and had two boy, two babies who are now 14 and 16. And, you know, I became a stay at home mom and I thought like I had hit the jackpot with that. I loved the idea that I didn't have to work until I realized like how much work two children are. And I, you know, was just a stay at home mom and I got very anxious to get out and do something for myself again. I got like fidgety and needed something that was, you know, fulfilling to me. So because I'd had all this background in doing hair, I decided to start a mobile blowout business, which was basically me like, you know, hitting up all my mommy friends and saying like, Hey, I'm a longtime hairstylist. And I'd love to come over while your babies are sleeping and I'll do your, you know, your blowout for $40 is what I charged. And while this is probably foreign to you to go to someone's house, is like, you know, upwards of 150 to $200. It's like, it's, it's a luxury kind of service. And not to mention hair salons at that time were charging the same kind of pricing because stylists preferred to do a cotton color in that hour versus a blowout. So there wasn't really an option for women. They were, you know, women like me who have naturally curly hair would figure it out and they'd go to like the fantastic Sam's or like a discount chain or, or their hairstylist would do their blowouts. But I knew that like, especially because I learned it just from all the years of doing hair, but in operating my mobile business, like I knew women loved the way that they felt when they had their hair blown out and their hair looked good, you know? And so I, I really, really, really learned that when I was operating my mobile business, which is called Straight at Home. And that business got so busy so fast that I got to a point where I came to this crossroads of like, do I expand this mobily and bring other stylists to sit? To Were you the only one doing this? Yeah, it was just me. Yeah, it was just you. Yeah, and at that time it was like, I was, I, I, you know, as that business was growing, I was saying no more than I was saying yes, you know? And I was like, I was still having to pick up my kids at preschool at like, you know, one o'clock. So I didn't have a lot of time. And I realized like, man, you know, and I would ask my clients, like, what do you do when I can't come to your house? And the answer was always, well, I either like begrudgingly go to my cut and color salon and overpay for a blowout, or I go to the discount, you know, like the fantastic Sam's on the seat where I like sneak in and want to get out of there as quickly as possible because the experience is bad, the, it's variable pricing, all the things that made getting a blowout not desirable. And that's when I, you know, really started thinking about this idea of turning my mobile business into a brick and mortar. And I went to my brother and said, hey, I think I, I think I could turn this into a, like a little business. You know, it was meant to be like my one little store in Brentwood. And my ex-husband, Cam, is a creative director. And he's just, he's, the, he's in charge of all the like branding and, and for Dry Bar and Squeeze and my new company. And he's just brilliant. And he thought it was a great idea. And he never thinks anything is a good idea. And, you know, and I started talking to all my friends and everybody was like, oh my God, this would be amazing. You know, and my you know, my, my vision for it was like, make it affordable and accessible to women everywhere. Because, 
you know, again, 11 years ago, it's like you would see these women and obviously still today, like in magazines on red carpets, you know, pre-COVID and, you know, their hair looked amazing. And it's like, how do they get their hair to look like that? And it, it wasn't like anybody could have hair like that, you, you know? And so I was like, let's create this place where we do blowouts and create that like red carpet look and, or, you know, just on a Tuesday, you want a little pick me up. And if you have crazy hair, like I do naturally, you won't want to get it blown out. But if the price is right, you'll do it more often. And that was my hope. And it was, you know, we started at $35 and we had no idea, you know, if we because we needed to do a lot of blowouts in a day for this model, this business model to work. And lo and behold, you know, women kind of came running for it. So that was, yeah. You know, and I, you know, I think it's genius. You know, when we first started Discus Dental, it was at the inception of tooth whitening. Mm -hmm. And I kind of had the same thing. Like, who wants yellow teeth? Nobody, you know? And one of my best friends in college who graduated from Harvard Business School, number one in her class, got this amazing job offer in New York. Like straight out of school, she would be making almost a half a million dollars. And I said, Cook, you gotta take it. She goes, are you kidding? My hair will be so frizzy in New York, I will never live there. And she literally turned it down to go to LA. And when you have a business that really deals with somebody's personal pain point, that's the best kind of business. And like your business, you know, my business, once you whiten your teeth, you want to keep them white. So you're building an annuity. You know, you give your customer great customer service. They're going to come back again and again and again, just like you said, just like teeth whitening. Once I whiten your teeth, you want to keep them white. So you're going to keep coming back again and again and again. So you kind of, you know, started by A, being in an entrepreneurial family, working in different businesses, seeing how different businesses, finding your passion, which was hair, and then saying, okay, what can I do in the hair space? So you open your first, you know, place in Brentwood and, you know, obviously that, that explodes and then you start to scale and that offers a whole new challenge because you know running one store is one thing running two stores is another thing running three four five 150 stores there were a lot of skills that you needed to acquire and i know you said you hired great people but you know i went back to school i so i was treating patients all day and then taking night classes at ucla extension in business because dental school only teaches you how to drill on teeth it doesn't teach you how to run a business. Where did you learn how to scale and run all these, these different store locations? Well, you know, I mean, I think it was like, it was like part instinct. And I mean, running the stores wasn't hard for me. I mean, it's a hard job, but I think because I had the background of, you know, watching my parents run a business. And also when I was my first like hair job was assisting, uh, a really great hairstylist who, who owned a salon. And I, again, wasn't paying attention, but you know, he would be dealing with th issues from clients and the stylist and just running the shop. And I learned so much about that. So I, I had this like background of running a hair salon that I didn't even really know that I had. And, and I, but I also like what I, what I didn't know I learned on the job, you know, and I, you know, I don't, I don't know what they teach you in business school, but I know that like, I learned very quickly, like there are a handful of pillars, like great customer service, you know, like 
the cleanliness, like the way a business operates and how, you know, and the flow of a business. Like I, I very quickly, you know, that stuff to me seemed relatively simple. I knew that I knew how to like create an environment where people felt, felt welcome, where people felt excited and, you know, with not by myself, but with the help of like our architect, you know, he was amazing. And, and like the space that we, you know, we, we took very much into consideration, the spacing of the shop, the music, the, the there's like paneled walls that provide acoustics. Like the bathroom was really cute. So like there was all this like surprise and delight elements, like all these little things. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm very, I mean, it's so funny because my 16 year old son, you know, I've always said he's such a sponge and he's like that kind of kid that you can teach and he really listens. And, you know, I think he, he largely gets that from me because I'm, I'm like that. Like I, I really pay attention in, in all the different atmospheres in my life. And that, you know, I think all of those years of watching other people, working for other people, paying attention, you know, some consciously, some subconsciously of how to like treat, you know, people right. And that was also having, you know, been in, obviously an, an employee of so well, many people that I knew. You know that, what like, you were doing, Allie? You weren't creating a, a, a place to get your hair blown out. You created a whole experience. Experience, yeah. And probably one of the first people that ever did that was my business partner's father, Fred Heyman. My business partner at Discus was Robert Heyman. Fred Heyman literally created Beverly Hills. His store, Fred Heyman, um, was Giorgio Cosmetics 273. He created the whole experience of shopping. He was the first place in Beverly Hills. He had a pool table. He had a bar. Patients, you know, people, I say patients, people would come in and they would, they would serve them drinks. And, you know, he would take the men aside and say, hey, listen, you know, give me a list of gifts that your wife would like and we'll keep it in a Rolodex. And then on her birthday, you just call us up and we'll send it to the house. And so, you know, I love that you looked at all these elements. Well, I mean, it was also that, you know, when I, like, as I mentioned, my parents had a clothing store, it's called Flips and it was like older ladies clothing, um, like, like moo-moos, like that kind of thing. And my, they were, you know, they were little old ladies that would get trolleyed in. And this was, again, was in Delray Beach, Florida, where everybody goes to retire. And there's all these retirement communities. And my, my parents opened smartly a clothing store in this, in this strip center that had like a Chinese store and the grocery store and like all the things that the women needed to do when they would take the trolley over, you know, and they were, they were old and my my dad would set up chairs in the front of the store of in the front of flips and he would bring bagels and coffee and orange juice and newspapers to the men who sat there waiting for their wives you know obviously it was brilliant because he knew that if they were happy and content they he, they would not like bitch at their wives for shopping and taking too much time and spending too much money and blah 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 they were very content they were sitting there having coffee they were reading the paper and they were chill and it was again you know I, I witnessed that. I worked in those stores. I saw those little old men waiting for their little wives. And it was, you know, it was like, they, every, I remember people joking around that my dad was like the mayor of the shopping center because everybody knew him. And my, it was really like the heyday for my parents. And I remember that, but I didn't, I, uh, that was, that was like buried in my subconscious, you know, and it's like, but, but that is what we did at Drybar. And I'll tell you, I didn't like, I didn't, I, when we were starting dry bar, I wasn't like, okay, I want to create an experience around blowouts. It wasn't like that. All of this stuff just came naturally to me. Like I, you know, I knew I wanted flat screen TVs that showed like old movies, like, 
you know, Devil Wears Prada and, you know, Sex in the City and stuff like that, that women really love, you know, and, and I put subtitles on the screen so you could read it and you would end up, you know, catching something you had in. And my brother had an idea to put iPhone charging station, iPhone chargers at every station because our iPhones die so fast. It was like all of these things got created out of like what we just wish existed, which is again, like the best piece of advice that I can ever give to people is like, create something that doesn't exist. Like it sounds like what you did and, you know, and, and your friend with the store, it's like, if you, and I, and I tell people that all the time, I think that my best advice always to people is like, if you don't have to reinvent the wheel, we didn't obviously invent blowouts. We didn't invent massages, but creating something that you wish existed within that space is, is kind of what I did. And, and really like there was no plan. It was like, I, I kind of stumbled into that. You know, I was like, I just want to create a place that I would like to go to and there isn't one in the world. So I'm going to do it. And, and I did it. And I, you know, and I leveraged every resource I had to do it and, and, you know, and it worked. <laughs> what would you say were the key elements that you brought into the business you know, like if I were a student and I were in school right now and I, and I was thinking, okay, I love what Allie did and I want to go and do something in the cosmetic or the hair space or the what, like what kinds of classes should I take or what kind of seminar should I go to? Or is there anything that you would say, you know, because most of the students that are watching this are still in high school and college, like how would you prepare yourself best to go and be an entrepreneur like this? I think it's about being really curious. I think it's, you know, for me, it's like go and, and following the thing that you're excited about. I, I personally feel like a lot of people coming out of high school or college, or whatever, you know, it's like, and I've talked to, I've talked to like on uh, people who want to be entrepreneurs about this. And it's like, you know, they're like, I want to start my own business and I want to do it in this. And this is what I'm doing. And I'm like, well, you know, it's really like been done and there's nothing that you're doing that's, I mean, it's like not like it's a bad thing, but there's nothing you're doing that's like really um, unique. And so I guess my point is like, go out and experience the world and jobs and get some foundation for, and everybody's path of course can and would, will and should be different, but like get some, you know, like worldly knowledge about what you personally love, what you feel like could be better or is missing out in the marketplace, you know? And I, and I think that there's, there's probably a, a lot of different ways to do that. I mean, my path was like going and working in a lot of different places and learning a lot about customer service and life and, and just by the jobs that I was doing. And, and, and again, I can only share my experience, but for me, it was like following and jumping around, which is like kind of, you know, looked down upon. It's like, you know, it's like, oh, your Ali has a new job and Ali's doing this now. And it's like, I remember my family giving me kind of a hard time about that. It's like, what are you, what's Ali going to do with her life? And, you know, and it's just like, you seem like kind of a fuck up when you're a 20 year old and you're jumping around a lot. But really, I think that that is exactly what you should be doing because, are there entrepreneurial classes and things that you can take? Like, of course, I'm sure it was, that wasn't my path, but there, that also wasn't really available to me when I was younger. But I think they're like getting out there in the world and seeing things and discovering, you know, if you stay on the path of the things that you like and you keep kind of following that, I think you end up where you should be. And, you know, I'm also a big believer that everything happens for a reason and the way it should. It's like, if you keep kind of following what lights you up and gets you out of bed in the morning and you're excited about doing, it will eventually lead you to the thing that you're ultimately meant to do. 
But you know what I really love? I love that you saw this pain, that you created this industry, but then you did something even smarter. And you started not just scaling by building more locations, but now you have products, you know? So it's like, okay, now that, you know, you come into the, you know, dry bar and you, you know, you get your hair done, you want to take that experience home. So you need this and you need this and you need this. You built that up and then sold it for $225 million. I mean, that's genius, you know? And I think that, you know, when kids come to leap, I always tell them if there's only two things that I want like to just get into your head and have stay there. Number one, don't wait for opportunities in life, make them. If I meet another millennial who tells me they're waiting for the universe to show them something, I just want to scream. The universe is busy. Okay. You need to make stuff happen. And number two, when you do get an opportunity, don't take it, master it. <laughs> and there's a big difference. Well, you know? you know, I mean, it's funny too, because I, you know, I'm, I'm very friendly with um, Gabby Bernstein, who, you know, is largely like known for her, like, you know, kind of trusting the universe and blah, blah. But the difference is that to your point is like, if you ever like listen to her books or read her books or listen to her talk, you know, she talks about like, yes, you know, she really believes in like the universe and like, you know, things do come to you and you put them out there, but it's all backed by like hard work. If you, if you were to listen to her and her story, you know, it's very much like, and it took years and years and years to get noticed from that person that I wanted to get noticed to make that thing happen. It was just like a constant, constant, you know, hustle. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. I believe that. I don't believe in the universe. Like, I don't think that the universe is sitting there saying, I'm going to make Dr. Bill Dorfman famous. You work your butt off. You're right. You know, I think we create our own kind of destinies and, and by, by totally by working really hard and by pursuing, you know, what I, I think that like that, that pursuant. And for me, it was like, you know, I just kind of, I, what's so funny about my life is like, I, I've been really content in all of the stages of my life. You know, when I was like, you know, really struggling living in New York city and living paycheck to paycheck and like figuring out how I was going to make ends meet. It's like, I didn't really mind it. I felt like this was like, it was like grit and I liked that fight, you know? And then when I met my, you know, my ex-husband, you know, we, he had a great job in advertising and then I really, really wanted babies. And and then I had the opportunity to be a stay-at-home mom, and and I was really content in that life. You know, it was like we didn't have a lot of money, but we had like a good life. And you know, and it was, and I, I just point that out because it's like you know, I I think that's what I why I ultimately became successful because I I really like was content in all the wherever I was in my life because I was constantly moving toward the thing that I liked whether it was a job or getting married and having kids or you know moving from New York to LA because I wanted to be in warm weather with my baby and that was just you know I kept kind of doing what I want and I think a lot of times you know there's this like especially for younger people, this, this, like, I should be doing that. My parents want me to do that. There's so much like judgment and pressure of like what you think you should be doing versus like, you know what? I really want to like go do that thing. But everybody would think I was crazy if I did that. You know, it's like that mentality. Listen, I totally get it. I totally get it. I, you know, I have three daughters and you know, I'm going through this with them all the time. Two of them are twins that just graduated college virtually. It's like, dad, what am I doing with my life? You know, and this whole thing, like everything happens for a reason. 
yeah, but you get to create the reason, yeah. you know? It's not like there's a puppeteer up there saying, oh, this is gonna happen, then Allie's gonna have 150 locations. Allie needs to work her butt off to make yeah. 150 locations, you know? So you get to be your puppet master. You get to control your okay. destiny. And I love you being content. I've been the same. You know, I, even when, when, when I get in, in a situation where I'm really challenged, you know, a lot of people get re really depressed and they feel like they failed. Mm -hmm. I don't fail. If I do something and it doesn't come out the way I want, that's not failure. That's practice. Learn from it and you do it again and again and again and again if you have to. That's how you become successful. And, you know, look, everybody gets a bump in the road. I'm sure along the way there were things that happened in your business that could have literally obliterated your business. But instead of letting that happen, you figured out ways around it, right? Yeah, I mean, totally. And, and even more, you know, present right now, you know, it's like obviously like Drybar is really successful and it's been an amazing journey, life-changing journey for me. And I'm incredibly proud of what, you know, we've built and all the jobs we've created and just, you know, the, the way we've impacted women's lives. And there's so many things I'm grateful for, you know, and that to some degree, that chapter of my life is kind of over, you know, I'm still involved in dry bar on some level and I, but, but not nearly the way I used to be. And, you know, now I'm doing other things like squeeze, which is, you know, our massage concept and also like having starting a jewelry line, which, you know, to your point, I don't know if it's going to like, you know, I, there's obviously, I think other people think like, oh, there, you know, there's you, that will be really successful because like anything you do will be really successful. I'm like, I don't know. It might not be, but I don't, I don't really care if it is or if it's not like, I mean, I want it to be, but it's not to your point. It's like, if it doesn't end up being like a huge thing, like it's something that I personally really enjoy doing. And that's the only reason I'm doing it, which was the only reason I started I went to beauty school and the only reason I started dry bar, I really loved it. I loved that business. I loved building that business. And I really love jewelry now at this later stage yeah. of life. And so I love doing that and where it goes, who knows, you know? Yeah. But you know, also to be fair, you're in a completely different place in your life right now. Yes. You know, I mean, when you were building dry bar, it was out of hunger, you know, and now you're in a place in your life where, you know, look, I always say learn, so you can earn and then return. You know, I'm at a place in my life. I, look, I grew up super poor, you know, and you know, dentistry has exceeded every expectation I ever had from, you know, being a New York Times bestselling author to creating Zoom to all these things that happen. And I'm at a point in my life now where I love giving back, just like you, you know, you speak to students all over the world. I love that about you. And I'm super excited to have you come speak at LEAP. And, you know, and I, I hope that your jewelry line is really successful. I'm sure it will be. But you know what? It's fun to just be able to do stuff because you love to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I'm in a different place than, you know, I have, I have the, uh, sorry, that's my dog. Um, the joys of working from home. Um, you know, I'm at a point in my life. Sorry. Don't worry about it. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm at a point in my life where I'm lucky enough to be able to do what I want to do, you know, without, you're right, that like deep hunger of like, you know, building and growing something, you know, it's like, I've built this big business, we've sold it for the most part, you know, I've started other businesses, but more like an advisory level. So now 
what gets me up in the morning? What is, what, what's, and I am in the, the process of figuring that out again, and I'm 46 years old. So it's like, it's always moving. That's kind of always a moving target. Um, but like, I think that's what, you know, keeps us like alive. It's like that vitality of like, let's figure out now what I love. You know, it's not, it's not building a blow dry business anymore. I've done that, you know, and now I'm, you know, figuring out what's next. And, And I think we do that at every age. Yeah. Allie, thank you so much. You are amazing. I love your energy. I love your enthusiasm. I love everything about your business. I've read about it for years and I feel like it's such an honor to finally get to meet you. And I really hope that we can get you to come speak at LEAP. And if your 14 and 16 year olds want to come, we'll, uh, we'll figure that out too. I love it. Yeah. All right. So So for more information on LEAP, please go to www.leapfoundation.com. You can sign up now. Um, You can come virtually. You can come in person. We're super excited. Dr. Bill, To learn more about the Leap Foundation, go to leapfoundation.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash leapfoundation or on Instagram at leapfoundation. Listen to the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.